Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Well, the Psalms, okay, the, the main theme of this book is prayer and praise. This is the, the hymnal or the compilation of worship and praise songs of the Hebrew people. It's, it's their hymnal book, kind of compiled together. And the author of the book of Psalms is credited to seven different authors, seven different authors. There are 34 anonymous Psalms, but 73 are attributed to David, 12 to a guy named Asaph, 11 to the sons of Korah, uh, one to Moses, one to Solomon, one to a guy named Herman, or Hum, I can't say it, and then another guy named Ethan. Did you know that Ethan was in the Bible? Some of you look surprised. It is. It's a biblical name, I guess. Yeah, it's in the Bible, so it's biblical. Here we go. It was Ezra, however, who brought order and structure and finality to the book of Psalms. Okay, so when we go through the Psalms, a psalm is singular, right? When someone's like, I love Psalm 73. It's Psalm 73. Just so you sound smart. It's Psalm 73, not Psalms 73. Psalms is the compilation of the entirety of the book, and each chapter is an individual psalm. If you've made that mistake in the past, God bless you, and God loves you, and there is grace for you tonight. But it drives me crazy. Psalm 70, it's Psalm, it's one, singular. Okay, but this book is a book that puts into words perhaps what we cannot put into words sometimes. If you've ever had an emotion, I don't have many, but if I ever have them, there are times where you're trying to explain to someone what you're going through or what you're feeling, and it's like impossible. Psalms is a great way to pray through what you're going through. It puts into words and into worship and into prayer things and emotions, and especially in the human condition, that are sometimes impossible for us to speak ourselves. And I believe that this book is really summed up in, in Psalm 23, chapter, or chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. There's this idea in the book of Psalms that Jesus and God is the one that I'm following. He's not a cattle driver that cracks the whip and drives us into a direction, but he is a good shepherd who goes before us, and as we follow him, he leads us into, into the right places in which we need. God leads us to where we need to go. He leads us in the right moral decision. God leads us along the path if we will choose to follow him. And that is the point of the book of Psalms, or, or kind of summing up what it's about. It's about a God who is personal. It's about a God who loves. It's a, about a God who cares. A God who provides all that he needs for his people and for his followers. Now, the book of Psalms is actually split into five books. And each of the books parallels the first five books of the Old Testament. So Psalm, the, the first book of Psalms is Psalm 1 through 41. That would be called the Genesis book. It's concerning mostly man. 
Okay, just like the book of Genesis. Uh, The second book is Psalm 42 to 72. It's the Exodus book concerning Israel. We're going to see a lot more of Israel coming from those Psalms. Book three is Psalm 73 through 89. It's the Levitical book, meaning it teaches us how to approach God. It's where the songs of ascent are, or the the songs of degrees, where the people would come to to, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship, and as they would traverse there, they would sing these psalms unto the Lord, and these songs, as they would go and climb their way to the city of Jerusalem to make sacrifice and worship God. They were reminding themselves on how to approach God. We must approach God in the way that he desires, not in the way that I feel, right? We'll get into that more as the book goes on. Book four is Psalm 90 through 106. It's the numbers book. It's concerning the earth and the nations. Book five is Psalms 107 to the end, 150. It's the the Deuteronomy book concerning the word of God and who God is. So you get the gist that the book of Psalms is not about you and it's not about me. The Bible is not purely devotional. Let me just explain. The Bible does not exist purely for us to drink coffee next to and to feel the love of Jesus in every part of it. You, You might. But Leviticus is not dedicated to that process. Numbers is not dedicated to that devotional process. Can you have devotions in Leviticus? Can you have devotions in Numbers? Absolutely. Is it primarily for that? No. The Bible in its entirety is about God. It's about his people. And it's about God bringing restoration to a broken relationship. It's always about God. In Psalms, it's, it's actually split. There's 10 categories of poetic Psalms as well. This is poetry literature. Um, it belongs with like Song of Solomon as well as Proverbs, which is wisdom theology or wisdom literature as well, but they're all kind of compiled in those poetic books. Some Psalms are didactic in nature in that they teach or they preach a certain thing. They instruct us. Some psalms are are messianic psalms where they point to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But the main purpose of psalms is to show us how to approach God in praise. How to approach God in praise. God desires and has given us the gift of worship and praise, but there is a way that God desires for us to come to him in praise, in worship. And God gave the Psalms to his people in order to instruct him in that, as well as the nation of Israel. And the message of this book is that the greatness of God is seen when we love him. When we love him, the greatness of God is seen. The more that we love God, the greater we see God's goodness, his chastening of us, his patience with us, our own sin, and the fact that we're able to come into his presence is a sheer miracle based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the more that we love God, the greatness of God is seen as we go through the book of Psalms. But it captures a picture of the greatness of God. So these Psalms are about God... But God and man interact. And so they include the relationship of God and man. Okay, so you'll see that relationship included. You'll see how God is relating to us and we are relating to God. Like I mentioned earlier, Psalms is included in poetry literature of the Bible. But Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. It doesn't rhyme. 
It repeats. It doesn't deal with pentameter. I heard that's like a poetry thing. Pentameter and cadence. Yeah, I did some research on poetry. As you can tell, I'm a big fan of poetry. Um, yeah, every hunting trip I go on, I take a book of poetry. Just kidding. Uh, poetry doesn't rhyme in the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language. They saw beauty in the words themselves. And so they don't necessarily rhyme. It's based on thought lines. And so as we go through this, you remind, remind yourself, this is poetry literature. We're going to see God through his creation, through, through trees, animals, rocks. I mean, the, guy, the guys that are writing these psalms are using what they can see and using what they can feel and trying to describe and, and ascribe to God the greatness that he is, but all they have is creation. And God extends beyond that. There are 400 quotes or allusions to the Psalms in the New Testament. But it's about God, his relation to, relationship to his creation, the nations of the world, Israel, and his believing people. Now, Warren Wiersbe, he said this, the God described in the book of Psalms is both transcendent and eminent, far above us and yet personally with us in our pilgrim journey. He is God most high and Emmanuel, God with us. And we will see both, both attributes of God throughout this uh, study through the book of Psalms. But the way of blessing is found in Psalm chapter 1. And we were going to study the first chapter tonight. It starts out, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows in the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So what's presented to us in chapter one is this contrast. It's didactic. It's teaching. There's two ways. It's presenting a contrast between the way of blessing and the way of judgment. And the first thing that he makes the point of the text is, may we walk with the law of God or in the law of God. Blessed, he says, is the man who walks not, right? He makes that distinction. Not this way, but this way. In the book of Genesis, mankind would walk with God every day. Adam would walk with God in the cool of the day. Not like the coolness in this room. As it is sweltering, and I am sweating profusely, even now. But man would walk with God by his life-giving river in the Garden of Eden, and among trees and fruit in paradise. And so this psalm connects us to the book of Exodus through Deuteronomy, where God presents his law to Israel and says, if you follow and obey, this will be the outcome. But if you don't, here's the contrast. God in his goodness paints the picture and says, this is what it's like if you will follow my commands. If you'll follow my word, if you'll walk in my word, if you'll do as I say, if you'll trust me enough that I'm a good God who loves you, if you will follow my way, there's a blessing that will follow. There's a contrast, however. You have an option. You have free choice, 
free will. You can do the opposite. And he's good in the sense that he tells us what will happen down that road as well. Both have warning signs. Both are given this, this idea here that this is what will take place. And so this psalm connects us back to the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy in that section. The nation of Israel is presented with two ways in there in Exodus as well. The way of blessing and the way of judgment. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. It says, keep this book of the law always of your lips or on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God even told the nation of Israel as they went into the promised land, don't stray from the word of God. All the promises that have come true, all the ways that God has been faithful as you faithfully walked it out and followed the cloud. He says, don't stray from that, but keep it upon your lips and meditate on it day and night. That is how you're going to be successful. We're not talking about money, obviously. I'm not going to take a fourth tithe tonight. I'm like, you want to be prosperous? Like, you got to give. And like, that is never the case. Like, nowhere in the New Testament is God like, you want to be rich? Like, here's... <laughs> Nowhere does God ever care about, like, in the sense of your monetary wealth of, like, I want to make you rich. That is my goal. That's why I came to the cross, so that you can be comfortable and live in a huge house. That's what's that was the whole thing. Yeah, that's my point. You did it. You walked successfully. Never, ever, ever, ever is Jesus that intention. In fact, Jesus modeled for us what it would look like in following Jesus. He says, it's going to look like this. You're going to be homeless. People are going to hate you. And you're not going to have a place to lay your head. That's reality, right? But inside, although outside is influence, and we can't, you're like, some people are rich, you're not going to hell for that, God bless you, give, it, give me some. But here, here's the point of that all. He says this, you will be rich in the things that matter. You will be successful in the things that matter. Even as they went into, as Joshua went into the promised land, they come to Jericho, and the Lord tells them, don't touch the spoils. Like, don't touch it. Don't, none of it. Don't, you don't need that stuff. I have more for you in another place. I, I, and there's going to be times where they go and they conquer, and God says, take it all, man. You get, get it. Right? There's other times like that. But this time he says, don't. Don't do it. God was doing something different. It wasn't about money, and God's not saying that he's going to prosper you successfully in the sense of money and career, although God does that. God does provide and take care of us. But what he was talking about here is God would provide and take care of us in the things that matter most, in the spiritual. Sorry, I just, I get really scared when we talk about success. People are like, oh, it's one of those places. It's not one of those places at all. This hat is like 97 years old. I can't buy a new one. Anyway, Jesus said, and he used a similar image in the gospel, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. He said this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Even Jesus says there's a contrast, there's a way of blessing, there's a way that, that leads to paradise, there's a, there's, there's a way that leads to, to life everlasting, and there's also the broad road that leads to destruction. The choice is yours. Like, you get to choose on which one you go down. And the Bible is built on the concept of two men, the first Adam and the last Adam. Romans 5 tells us, we can, we can also see it in Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, 
Esau and Jacob, David and Saul, two men, two ways, and two destinies. Throughout the Old Testament, what is the Bible telling us? There's two ways, and that's it. Destruction and life. And the decisions that you make, these are your decisions. Christ has provided the way of salvation that all you have to do, the only thing that you're responsible for is belief and faith. That's it. That is the only requirement. But he says, you can choose to take the path of destruction. Like, it's totally your choice. Jesus will never force anyone into his heaven. Ever. He will not drag you there against your will. But he drug his own body and placed it on the road to destruction and said, if you're going to go, it's going to be over this body. It's going to be through this blood. That's the power of Jesus. That's the love of God for us. And that is what the psalmist is picking up on here, that there is two ways. Blessed, or, or the, the idea, before I get ahead of myself, is, is that there are... are blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I haven't taught a Bible study in like five weeks, so everything I've been reading, I'm just so excited to tell you about. I've had no one to talk to except my kids, and they're like... Ah. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. And my wife's like, why do I, I don't, I, mm. I was like, honey, did you know that the books, the Bible and Psalms, the spoon? She's like, yeah, cool. The dishes, like, just, so I'm excited. But look at verse one and two. It's the person who receives blessing. The person who receives it. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the, of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, no doubt you've heard this, this passage taught before, maybe if you've been in church at all, but notice the progression that happens. It's a downward spiral. Who walks not in the council, who now stands and then finds seated. God's covenant with Israel made it clear that he would bless their obedience Blessed is, the, is in the plural tense of the verb. It, it means, oh, the happinesses. Like it has an extra S. I know it sounded like I messed up, but I didn't. That's what it means. Oh, the happinesses. Or the blessednesses. Spell check tried to like totally catch me on this, but it, that's what it means. It's this plural sense of the, ex, the expounding or the overflowing of happiness and blessing of God. How does this happen then? How? The question, I love to ask the question. People are like, this is what's happening. You're like, well, how? How do you do that? That's a great question to ask of the text. Anytime you read your Bible and it says you should do this, how? What's the how of it all? Because if I'm going to do it, I need to know how to do it. Amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Homeschool high five? Thank you. All right. Some of you are asleep because it's hot in here. And I will not allow it. <laughs> this dinky little fan is trying its best. Just like... <laughs> Grinding it out, like, you will feel cool. It's not, oh, you sweet little fan. Anyway, what does he say? We must be directed by God's word. We must be directed by God's word. Notice he makes the distinction, blesses man who, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He's, he's making a distinction of the authority of the, of the scriptures rather than the authority of man. He's saying there's a wisdom that's beyond this world that God can give 
Or there's the wisdom of this world. Blessed is the man who walks in the wisdom of God's word. And you can have all the knowledge of God's word that you want, right? You can, you can know like the five, you could have memorized the 10 categories of, of poetic Psalms tonight. But if you do not do what the Bible says, the Bible calls you a fool. There's knowledge of scripture and there's the wisdom of putting scripture into practice. Believing it enough to do what it says. And if you believe in it enough to do what it says and watch it work in your life, you have to do it. You have to try. You got to put your weight on the word of God and see, is it true? Will it hold me up? And so many times we doubt, man, is it really that simple? Yeah, it is. It just, you just follow God's word. The nation of Israel was uniquely put aside to live a different way than the surrounding nation. That's why the book of Leviticus has so many super weird detailed uh, details about how they were to sacrifice animals and what to do with the entrails and liver and things like that. Okay, it's not for you. The book of Leviticus, <clears throat> the book of Leviticus is actually it means for the Levites. So if you're reading Leviticus and you're like, I don't, why do I, it's not for you, it's for the Levites. But here's the point of it all, is you can find Jesus in it, absolutely. It all points to Christ, it's fascinating. But the point of all of that is as, na as the nation of Israel is coming across the, the desert and they're sitting there at the bottom of Mount Sinai and God's presence shows up in a cloud and fire and thunder and they're receiving instruction from God they are receiving these instructions found in the book of Leviticus where God says when you sacrifice a bull the liver goes here and the entrails go here and this and they're like what why is that so important in Egypt they used to do what's called liver gazing they would tell your fortune through an animal's liver and God says my people don't do that anymore that was a pagan practice you will be set aside and do it this way. They were being set aside and they're saying, God's saying, follow my counsel. Follow my word, trust me. Don't do it the way that the world is doing it. Although there, are, there is counsel like Google, you can Google your plumbing problems and probably find the right answer. But you should not Google like my depression issue or, or Google can kill you. Right? You're like, I, I have a, my wrist hurts. You have cancer. According to, to, like, so it's not, it doesn't know everything. So we follow the, the counsel of God, God's word. And that's why God says, this is the direction. He was setting the people aside saying, that's not for you. But I have a new way in which you can receive wisdom from God on high. Where Moses would go in and meet with God. We're now Christ comes, the veil is torn, and you can go into the Holy of Holies in prayer and meet with the living God. What else do you need? You have his word and you have his presence. You have the, you have the, the promise of God's ear to you. Come on. That's crazy. So, as Moses is reconvening these instructions on Mount Sinai, remember what the people do? They make a false god and they fall back into practices of the nations of Israel that they had been delivered from, right? They throw all their gold into a, a little thing and out just poof pops a calf and they're like, what else can we do but strip down naked and dance in front of it? Like, it's a miracle. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, like that, they were looking for, what happened? The whole nation of Israel, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God was drawing out the things of the world. 
He was drawing out those pagan practices and teaching them to walk with him and trust in him and to follow him. And then he brings them into the promised land. And he says, this is what I have for you, a new kind of life. There's battles in it. There's craziness in it. But I'm with you. Like, I'm, I'm setting you on this path. We must be directed by God's word. As God's people, this is the authority. This is the authority for our life. And guys, trust that God is a good God. And his authority is something that we would love to come under. Because as a God who loves, he instructs, he chastens, he loves you. Oh my goodness, why wouldn't I come under that? The God of the universe who can do anything who has my back and has my best in, in mind for me, but it takes trust. And that, I think, is a lot of what we battle with. I know I do personally, is trusting that God has my best in mind. I'm like, do you really? Or do you want me to suffer? Like Martin Luther. Like, is that how my life's going to be? Or whatever. Anyway. Um, but moving into the sin of disobedience, it's a gradual thing. They sat there at the bottom of Mount Sinai for 40 days just waiting. And gradually, they kind of like got tired of it. Just like, oh, I guess we'll just try something else. Golden calf. Like it's gradual, but it happens. Look at the, the life of Lot. Lot was, was following God. He saw the, the hand of God upon his family. And in Genesis 13, he points his tent in the direction of this ungodly city. Then we find him in the next few verses, he's moved into the city. And then in the next chapter, you find himself, he's employed and holding a position of prominence in the city. Peter, he went from saying that he would never leave Christ. He would never deny him. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. He went from that to warming himself by the enemy's fire to full-blown calling down, cursing upon himself if he ever knew Christ. And denied Jesus three times. Need we go through the story of Jonah again? Right? He says he went down. He went down in the belly of fish. He went down in the bottom of the ocean. He went down. What is happening? This downward spiral of disobedience. But you know what breaks the cycle of disobedience? It's me- it, you're never going to guess this. Repentance and obedience. Like Repentance, God, I am sorry. You were right. I was wrong. You're God. I am not. You're handsome. I'm not attractive. Or whatever you do. You are the best and I don't know what I'm doing. You're right. I repent. I'm sorry. I'm going to start doing what you say. The remedy for it is repentance and then obedience. God doesn't like say to you, hold on. There is a There's a Scantron test you're going to have to take front and back before we get this whole repentance thing going. Um, And and an essay question, six of them, or whatever. I hated essay questions. That's why I didn't go to college. So so blessed is is the man who does not walk in the advice. Here's what it literally means. Blessed, or oh, the blessednesses of... The man who does not walk in the advice of the persistently evil or follows in the direction of those who miss the mark but don't care about the word of God or God's ways. 
or makes himself comfortable with those that make light of God's law and ridicule what is sacred. That's the, the literal translation of it. Blessed is the man. And when you read it that way, you're like, oh, wow. That's like, do I do that? I don't think I do that. You'd be surprised if you start thinking today or tonight, right now. I know I did. I started thinking about it today, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm an idiot. This is what I do. And no wonder I'm miserable, right? Ever like, had that epiphany? You're like, oh, no wonder I'm so miserable. I'm doing these stupid things. <laughs> no? All right. So a little too honest tonight. Like I said, I was really excited. So we must, like the first point, we got to obey God's word. I, sound, I know it sounds elementary. You're, you've heard that your whole life. But so what? You need to hear it again. The second thing is, look what he says in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Delight and meditation on God's word um, go hand in hand. Delight means to give it value. Um, Psalm 119, verse 15 through 16, he says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Verses 23 and 24 of Psalm 119, it says, Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my, my counselors. He says, For I delight in your commands because I love them. Verse 48, I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Meditation and delight go hand in hand. Warren Wiersbe said this, for what we think about, we pursue. What you think about is what you chase, right? When I start thinking about food, I begin to chase that food. Like I will find it. I will hunt it down. <laughs> Sandwich, board and brew. It's so close now. <laughs> I've spent at least a thousand bucks like this last two weeks on those stupid sandwiches. <laughs> Krista, everybody. Krista, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so hot. Okay, for what we think about, we pursue. Think about it. How often your mind is fixed on something and you have to have it right now. Suddenly your whole like bookmark page on Safari is just all of these links to what you've been pursuing after, that e-bike that you want so much or whatever. I know for me, I'm not even gonna say it, but there's a certain thing that I've wanted. It's consumed me. I'm looking for deals. I'm looking for coupons. I'm looking for anybody who has one for free. And I'm just consumed by it. My son's in the, in, playing baseball. And right now they're undefeated. And I'm consumed with the championship and him winning forever. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Steroids, let's go. Kid, you're getting pumped. He's walking up to the mound like, yeah. We're not losing. Like I'm clubbing kids like the other team. No, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. What you think about is what you pursue. And I want you to think about it tonight. What, what has your mind been fixed on? Think about if your mind's fixed on your depression, what are you chasing after? The cure to that depression. How can I fix it? How can I fix it? Has anyone seen it yet? If you're after a spouse or that other person, you're like, how can I, how can they notice me? I've gone to the gym 17 times. My glutes are on fire. How can they not notice yet? Everything is fixed on that one thing because what you think about is what you pursue. Your mind directs where your body goes. The Psalms tell us that we are to delight in God's word 
or to like it more than food? Psalm 119, 103, Job 23, 12, Matthew 4, 4. I was going to say all these, but it's too many. We're supposed to like it more than food. We're supposed to like it more than sleep. Yeah, this is in the Bible. Psalm 119, 55, verse 62, 147, 148, 164. We're supposed to love God's word and pursue after it more than wealth. Psalm 119, verse 14, 72, 127, and 162. We're supposed to even love it more and pursue after it more and to light ourselves in it more than our friends in our community. Psalm 119, verse 23, 51, 95, and 119. What the Bible is making clear for the follower of Jesus Christ is that the word of God is where we experience and learn and see God's path and his ways. May we delight in it because God has given it to us for our good that we might know him in a real and personal way. As we delight in God's word, these other things, right? Food, sleep, wealth, and friends also are enjoyed to the fullest when God's word is placed at the head of it. Because we're able then to delight in those things in the proper scope of God's goodness. This is what the New Testament refers to as abiding in God's word. Now, the verb tense of walk, stands, and sits is in this present tense, which speaks of a settled way of life. So he's saying, blessed is the man who does not walk, who settled his life in a way that doesn't follow after these things. Meaning, I've come to a conclusion. While the word meditate is in the imperfect tense, which means a constant practice. Meaning, I make this consistent in, in try in my life, and blessing will be the one, or blessed will be the one who keeps on meditating on God's word. Like, I've settled this, that this is not my path. This is my path. I've come to a settled agreement. But I'm going to keep on meditating on God's word because that's the life source of the Christian. But not only are, are we to follow God's word and to delight ourselves in his, his word, look what he says in verse three. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. He says, not only will you be blessed, but you will be blessed to be a blessing. A couple months ago, we went through a series called Missio Christi, where we looked at the, the mission of Christ and what God had set us for, hey, you got the sticker. Here's what God set us forth for, that we were blessed with salvation so that we would be a blessing to others. The first instance of that is Abraham. God sends him on mission that he would be a blessing, or he would be blessed, and that through him would come a blessing to all nations. The, the people of God are sent on mission from God, blessed by God to be a blessing to others. Um, if we refuse, like you can refuse to swim in the waters of generosity when it comes to the blessings of God. But suddenly our lives become more about the gift than they do the giver. If we hoard these things to ourselves, right? And like, oh, it's so in, in, intrusive. Like everything is about us and for us. And you realize that God has blessed you. God has spoken to you. God has revealed himself to you. Not, not so it just stays with you but that it might go out from you. God saved you, and then he sanctifies you, and then sends you, is the whole point. Yeah. 
We are blessed that we might be a blessing. You can hear a lot more things in this room, I'll tell you. And it's really hot. So it was a familiar symbol. The tree. We're almost done. Stick with me. A tree. You're like, he will be like a tree. And you're like, oh, thanks. Like, what? I don't want to be a tree. I want to be a lion or I want to be a beast. I want to be a... Of something stronger and, and faster or cuter, but it calls me a tree. It was a familiar symbol in scripture. It could be symbolizing of a kingdom or an individual. If you want to look more, Matthew chapter 13, verse 32. But a tree, he's making the point that he will be alive. It will be beautiful. It's fruitful. It's useful. And it's enduring. The man who puts and directs his ways with the Lord, follows God's word and delights in his commands and delights in his ways, will be fruitful, alive, beautiful, useful, and enduring. But the most important part of the tree are the root system, the things that are not seen, hidden, but without it, the tree can't survive. The roots draw water and nourishment up through the tree to give it life. That's why Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, So then... Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says, what I desire for you is that your roots would sink deep into who Christ is. And if you will believe in his word, if you will trust his word, if you will obey his word, if you will delight in his word, and, and you will draw up spiritual nourishment for your soul, it will bring you joy and peace and love, and all the fruits of the spirit will come as you abide in Christ Jesus, as you're connected to him. And he says, and you'll be planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. River is often a picture of God's spirit, uh, torrents of living water. So you remember in the, in the Bible it tells us that torrents of living water would come forth, uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit who was to come. Water's also speaking of the provision of God. That's why we have in the book of Exodus, Moses striking the rock and water coming forth and God providing for his people. But we can't nourish and support ourselves if we are not rooted in Christ and drawing upon the spiritual power that comes from him. It comes from his word. It comes from fellowship. It comes from prayer. But notice the fruit. He says, you will bear fruit in its season. Um, it's going to produce something in our life. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you walk with him, the more that you spend time with him, it's going to produce something in your life. Fruit comes from the life of God flowing through us. It's not something that we produce ourselves. When I was a kid, um, I had a friend who had all these fruit trees in his backyard, uh, oranges and lemons and stuff like that. And we used to have fruit fights in the backyard. So we would chuck lemons and oranges at each other. It was hilarious. It was super fun. But if you ever get hit with one of those things, it hurts so bad. Have you ever been hit with an orange? It hurts. It's not like a water balloon where you're like, ha ha, it exploded. It like hits and doesn't do, it like duds. You're like, oh, and you like can't breathe, you know? So you didn't want to get hit. Anyway, it was we're running around in the orchard or in his backyard. Never once did I hear like fruit trees, like, like grunting out, like trying to force fruit to come out. Like, I'm going to bear fruit. And it's like, boom, all these oranges came out. Doesn't happen like that. What happens is as it's watered and it gets light and all that stuff, what happens? Fruit just is coming forth. It's produced. Here's the point. You can't produce fruit in your own life. You can't fake life. 
Like you can't fake spiritual life for a little bit, perhaps. But eventually, your speech will betray you as to who you really are. Your life will bear fruit to what kind of, of thing that you're feeding it. And, and so what he's saying here is if you're planted in Christ, you will bear fruit in its season. But fruit is not consumed by the tree. The tree never once in that orchard was a tree like, yes, finally, I'm starving, and ate the fruit itself, right? We picked it and chucked it at each other. The fruit doesn't draw its strength from that. Like the tree doesn't get its, its strength back from that fruit. What is it for? It's for other people. So what he's saying here is that as you bear fruit in its season, the leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. What does he say then? The godly, the ungodly are not so. Who's the fruit for? It's for the ungodly who need it. It's for those that need it. But they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. There's no stability. They're just blown to and fro, running, just scared. There's nowhere for them to hide. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. They shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. What is he saying? The fruit is not just for you. You've been blessed to be a blessing. As you walk with Jesus, it's not just for you. Although it nourishes your soul, it brings life to, your, to, to what was dead, but that life has to extend past you to other people. That's why Jesus still has you here. If you ever wonder, like, why am I still here? Because your life is to bear fruit and testify of the power of God. And as it testifies of the power of God, you tell other people, this is what Jesus has given to me. Now you partake. This is for you. And it's not by anything that we can produce in ourselves. Guys, we have to believe that God's word will do it. God's word will do it. It will produce in us a different kind of life. It's not just for us. It's so that we can influence those who listen. What, what does it say? They will not stand in judgment. Like they're going to stand in their own righteousness before a holy God and they won't make it. And it's, it's this understanding and sense and terror of the living and true God, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You say, those people need salvation. That's what we need to do. That's why we're here. And so this contrast of two ways, two lives, here it is, the ungodly, those that abide in Christ, who obey his word, who delight in his word, who place value in his word, shall be established and fruitful. But those who don't are like the chaff. We have been blessed to be a blessing. But what's so good about this, sometimes you're like, well, I don't know. I'm not always like this. Do you know how much grace is available to you? Like, do you know that no matter what you've been into or involved with tonight, that in a moment of you confessing that sin and asking for forgiveness, God does not pour out wrath, but he pours out grace upon you because Christ took it upon the cross. And so we rejoice in the goodness of God. We rejoice in the, in the God who loves us enough, who says, don't live this way, but live this way. This is a better life. It's a better way to live because it doesn't just appeal to the now, it appeals to the eternal. What the counsel of the ungodly and the path of sinners, what it does, it appeals to this nature of instant gratification and the now, never considering what's ahead. 
right? It, it promises the world of now. Like right now, you can experience all the joys of everything. That we're doing. Like it's like a really bad car salesman. Like we can get you in this today and today you could drive away. And as you drive away, the top will roll down and the ladies will come. And this is how life's going to be. We just got to get you in that car today. What happens? You get in, the thing falls apart, and you're like, this thing stinks. What Christ says, if you will consistently follow, not only will we be blessed in this life, but there's a life to come. And that's the life we're living for. Because that's what's eternal. All this stuff fades. This all burns. That thief, rust, moth can't touch. Death can't touch. And so that's what we're living for. That's where it's going. And so the encouragement and the, like, what's cool is you have a choice. Like we all have a choice. Some days I don't always do this. I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe a little too honest. Not every day do I pick up my Bible and go, yes, I delight myself. There's going to be some Psalms in here that you hate and that I hate because it slaps us in the face. And we're like, that's rude. And also, what's up with David, his attitude? What, what, there's going to be some stuff in here you don't like, right? You look, if you ever just want to be encouraged, read the book of James. As James kicks you in the gut of like, you think you're righteous? You, you believe in God? Oh, that's cute. So does the devil. And you're like, hey, <laughs> that's rude. You're not always going to like it. It's not always going to bless you. You're not always going to be able to take a picture and be like, oh, this is, mm, yeah. It was so good today. It was so good. I read Nahum and didn't understand any of it. Like, <laughs> right? It's not always going to be like that. There are times where reading your Bible and spending time with Jesus, it's a trudge through mud and muck. And there's a reason. It's because the devil knows that this is where life is found. That's why he'll, he'll, you'll forget it in like East Egypt. And you're like, what? I left it all the way over there. I'm not going to get that thing. Guys, this, this is where it's at. And I wish it was, um, there's no secret recipe to like following Jesus. There's no secret. It's believing his word.